So, um, so last week, um, Pastor Matt talked about fasting, and it was so interesting to me. Um, actually, I think prophetic for all of us. I was doing uh, um, some fasting last week. I was getting um, feeling like I wanted to really break this fast. It was supposed to be three days, and I'm saying, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, Lord. And so I'm sitting at my um, table getting ready to go on my prayer call. It's like quarter to six in the morning. I said, I think today, Lord, I'm going to break this fast. I said, let me just open my Bible. You got anything to say? And so I opened my Bible, and um, let me just read this to you. And I fall on these two verses. Now, the whole um, chapter of Isaiah 58, there's a lot in there about fasting. Um, Verse 5, is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? And the Old Testament They fasted that way with sackcloth and ashes. It was uncomfortable. And you know what? Fasting is uncomfortable. Will you call this a fast, a day day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? And when I read that, Immediately, the Spirit of God convicted my heart that the fasting is not so much for us, but it's for others, and to do it intentionally. And that what came to me was that there's so many lost. There's so many backslidden. There's so many sick. There's so many depressed. And this fast is to set people free. That day, I was so moved in my heart for the harvest, for the lost, for those who need help. They're under heavy yokes. They're full of the spirit of fear. They, they're oppressed. They're broken. And some things don't leave, Jesus said, without prayer and fasting. Some things are not going to leave. And as I spoke with my friend from Greece this week, and I said, listen to this verse that he gave me, and I felt it was for the lost, and she's a missionary. And she said he gave me the same exact verse. Now is the time. Now is the time to see the lost come in. Now's the time to see the broken get healed, get saved, the the backslidden to be brought back, the sick to get healed, for those to come in. And I was reminded this week twice, the Spirit of God was saying, I'm forming my army now. I'm forming my army. The Bible says in Joel 3, he goes before his army. He utters his voice. He's uttering his voice. He's saying, now is the time. He's uttering his voice because he cares. He has compassion. He has love for the lost. So I just want to say, I appreciate this fast. And um, whichever way we do it, um, for me, it's food. But I respect any other way um, that you do it, internet, all of those things. And I just want to say, let's just do it so intentionally with purpose. We're going someplace.
Amen. 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 Whew. I am so excited about what God is doing. The Spirit of God was here in just a wonderful way this morning. If I could just connect this, the excitement that's in me to you, you'd all be flat out in the Spirit right now because God is just moving and He's doing something. And, you know, so many times when God moves and when God does something, it, it becomes difficult for us to put into words because God is infinite and we're finite. And for us to explain something that's infinite with finite words and finite minds becomes very difficult. And so it becomes, for, it becomes very difficult for even me to explain the Spirit of God inside of me because we're dealing with things that are infinite and beyond our own comprehension and for me to pass that information along to you. But, I, but, we, but we struggle and we try and, and we do our best. And so this morning we have this message entitled Heaven Matters and we'll get there. We'll get there, trust me. But first I want to share a word, uh, a word from the Bible, uh, something that the Lord gave me, and it's from 1 Kings, verse 18. And so just keep that slide up there. I'm going to pop out of here. I don't want to mess you up. But I want to go to 1 Kings 18 on my iPad. And this is, this is right after uh, the showdown on Mount Carmel when Elijah has this moment of time with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are unable to get Baal to move because Baal's not a god at all. And then the Lord God answers by fire and, and consumes the offering. And they put to death all the prophets of Baal. And then he goes and he prays. He goes up on the mountain and he prays. Seven times he bows himself to the ground. And he, and he sends his servant to go look for the cloud. Is there a cloud? Go look. Is there a cloud? Go look. Seven times he goes and looks. And the seventh time, the, the, prophet come, the, the, the uh, servant of the prophet comes back and he says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. <laughs> what faith? There's, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. And Elijah sends word to Ahab and he says, get in your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Rain's coming. Go down before the rain stops you. And it says... The hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. This is, this is the part. I, I said all that just to get to this, to this verse, because this is what the Lord spoke to me in worship this morning. The hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of him to the entrance of Jezreel. It says in, in the NLT, it says, The Lord God gave special strength to Elisha, and he tucked his cloak in his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to the entrance to Jezreel. And so this is about 12 or 14 miles from where they were to where they were going. And so he outran the horse pulling the chariot for 14 miles. And so it was the supernatural strength of God. And so the word of God that came to me this morning was strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself because it's coming, guys. Something's happening. There's a groundswell. God's doing something. The Spirit of God is moving. He's moving here in this church. He's moving here in this city. He's moving all across the faces of the globe, and He's getting ready to do something. And we as a people, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And so strengthen yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Here's the glorious part, guys. It says, the, it says, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. The strength of God came upon Elijah. How did Elijah strengthen himself? With God's strength. 
It's not like I'm telling you you've got to go to the gym and work out and put the weights on and, you know, come on, guys, really work it up. All I'm saying is, like, you know, get into prayer, get into fasting, and strengthen yourself in the Lord because God's going to do something. God's about to move. God's about to do something fantastic. And we want to be part of it. There's, there's, all, there's, there's a place of preparation. And we see this repeatedly throughout the Bible. It's called the wilderness. Whenever God takes someone into the wilderness, into a wilderness experience, it's for a preparation. He's preparing them for something. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, it says that he led them into the wilderness. It says that he could have easily have brought them up into the land of Cana, the land that they were to inherit. But God knew that they weren't ready. It literally says, for fear that they would turn back when they faced war. They weren't ready. And so they went into the wilderness. The wilderness was a place of preparation. And so we see the same thing with Jesus. Jesus comes. He's baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And what is his response? He goes into the wilderness. He goes out into this wilderness all by himself. He goes to this place of preparation. He's prepared for what's about to transpire over the next three and a half years. God's getting us ready. God's getting us ready. God's getting us ready. Be ready. Live ready. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And let me just say this. Sometimes we just need to take time and we need to set time away with the Lord. Sometimes we just need to take time. And, you know, it's great to take our, our 15 minutes a day, our hour a day, whatever it is that you can afford to do regularly. But there's times and seasons when God calls you away into something more. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. And I'm not saying that we need to do that or that we should do that. What about three days? Have you ever just went and spent time with God for three solid days? Go to a place where your phone won't work. Turn your phone off for three days. Don't look at email for three days. Have no outside contact other than praying to God for three days. God will change your life. You'll walk out of there different. Hey, I'm super excited about this sermon series, Heaven Matters. There's a book. Uh, it's entitled Living as if Heaven Matters by David Shipley. Fantastic book. Um, some of what I'll mention is, is from there, sourced from there. But really, he's just kind of quoting scripture and going, going from that. And so I'm not going to reference the book um, other than the fact that I kind of stole his title. Heaven Matters. Heaven matters in our life. The Apostle Paul said, if in this life we receive our reward, we are of all men to be most pitied. What's he saying? He said, if heaven isn't real, then we're wasting our time, guys. Jesus came. Why did Jesus came? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. They'd go to heaven to live with Jesus. It's all about heaven, guys. It's all about heaven. If we take heaven out of the equation, nothing makes sense. We have to understand heaven. We're actually commanded to know about heaven. We're commanded to think about heaven. We're commanded to focus on heaven. We're going to look at these scriptures in a moment. Jesus came and he started preaching. What did he say? He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It's, it's available in your midst to you. 
What did he teach us to pray? He taught us to pray, Father, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as what? As it is in heaven. And so heaven matters because if we're going to pray that heaven would come to the earth, we have to know what we want to come. How will we know when we receive the answer to our prayer if we don't know what we're praying for? We have to have an understanding and a revelation of what heaven is like if we're going to see the answer to our prayers on the earth. Because if we don't have an understanding of what it's like, then we won't know when it shows up. We don't know when the prayers got answered. We need, like, heaven matters, guys. Heaven matters, heaven matters, heaven matters, heaven matters. If there's one thing I want to drill into your mind over the next four weeks, it's that heaven matters. Heaven what? Matters. What matters? Heaven. heaven matters. Heaven matters. And us thinking about heaven, us knowing about heaven, heaven matters. Heaven matters for three reasons. We're going to touch on them briefly today and dive into them more uh, throughout the next few weeks. Heaven matters because when we understand heaven, we will live differently. We will live differently. Heaven matters because we will be better equipped to bring the kingdom of heaven here. Heaven matters because when we understand heaven, we will, we will all the more willingly share the gospel. When we understand heaven, guys, when we focus on heaven, if, if you did one thing and for the next month you read nothing but books about heaven and studied heaven in your Bible, you would automatically begin preaching the gospel more often you'd automatically begin telling more people about Jesus and about going to heaven. It would be a natural response to your life. All you need to do is fill your mind with heaven and you're going to share the gospel with more people. You're going to share Jesus with more people. It's just going to happen. You don't even have to work at it. One of Pastor Tom's favorite pastimes is reading books about uh, after-death experiences, different stories about heaven. I've read a few of these books. I've read two or three. It's not a great pastime of mine. I mean, I, I don't eat them up. He eats them up. And so he loves these things. I've read two or three books. They're fantastic. Now, those books aren't Bible, and we can't say, hey, you know, this is this, and, and we, this is the way it's going to be. But we can, we can glean from them and see what they say. It's, Pastor Tom likes to see, where are they the same? Where are they different? And so I'll talk more about that later. But let's jump into some scripture. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Set your sights on heaven, guys. Guys, set your sights on heaven where Christ sits. Think about the things of heaven, the scripture tells us, not the things of this earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Guys, the life we live here on earth, it's fake. <laughs> it's fake life. We read this scripture, uh, or not, there's not, sorry. There's this saying, YOLO, you only live once. There was a, there was a little meme, and it said, no, that's not true. You only die once. You live every single day of your life. I'll live today. I'll live tomorrow. I'll live the next day. I'll live until the Lord takes me home. I only die once. It's kind of funny. Set your sights on heaven 
We're commanded. Apostle Paul says, set your sights on heaven. Think about heaven. Think about the stuff of heaven. When was the last time we really sat and paused and thought about heaven? Do we know what heaven is like? What's there? What are we going to see when we're there? There's songs about heaven. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it will be like. Right? There's another song it's about heaven. It's called Finally Home. I love that song. Finally Home. All those questions that I swore that I would ask, words just won't come yet. These are the words to these songs. Oh, I love it. We all have, people are like, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. Oh, are you really? Oh, are you really? <laughs> and how many thousands of years do you think that's going to take? <laughs> You're going to be so undone in his presence. <laughs> You're going to be so unglued, unhinged. You're going to be... You're just going to be like, and then amazing grace says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When we are there 10,000 times 10,000 years, that's a lot of years. We've no less days to sing God's praise or to enjoy heaven than when we first arrived. We have no grasp of what eternity is. We can't wrap our finite minds around it. We're so limited by time. We're so limited by time, we can't understand eternity. And then we're so limited by what we see in this world, we have no comprehension of what heaven is actually like. Do we understand it? Do we know what heaven is like? I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to spend less time telling you what heaven is like, and I'm going to spend more time whetting your appetite so that you're going to want to dig up your word and go find out what the Bible says that heaven is like. That's my goal through these next four weeks, is that you would pick up your Bible, and you would say, God, what is heaven like? Go to your Google search and say, heaven, eternity, kingdom of God. Just keep searching things, like keep finding things. Because it's, I could, I could read scriptures all day, but it's when we're in the presence of God, it's when we've prayed and we've asked God to open up the word to us, and then we read it, and he shows us wondrous things in his word, things that we've never even seen before. Yes. Think about the things of heaven, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Guys, our life, the life that we were called to live as Christians, our life is really hidden with God. And when we live this way, when we live the life that's hidden with Christ, our life looks completely different on this earth. We do not do the things that we did when we understand heaven. We do not do the things that we did when we understand that we're citizens of heaven. I like this verse. I don't like, I don't like the message often, but I like this little verse out of the message. It says this, it says, compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. We're tired of it. We've been, we've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little bit of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. 
compared to heaven, this life, you can live in the most glorious mansion, you can drive the biggest, most beautiful car, wear the finest clothes, eat the best food. It's like living in an unfurnished shack. <laughs> Trash. It's like, it's like living in an unfurnished shack. It's just like poverty. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we're like little kids making mud pies on the beach when we've been offered a vacation at sea. We're, we've been offered a cruise ship, unending food. Have you ever been on a cruise? The buffets are always open. You can eat 24-7. There's no list of the ends of things to do. Someone comes in, comes in and makes your bed every day. It's all clean, and they're, they're constantly there. Everything's just the way that you want it to be. That's, that's what life is on at sea. That's a cruise. But no, we choose to just sit and make mud pies in the dirt because we haven't figured out the reality of heaven. Ecclesiastes 3 says this. God, he, God has made everything beautiful in its time. This is right after it says there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to sow, and a time to reap, a time to gather, cast away stones, and a time to gather them back together. And he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in the hearts of men, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. God has made everything beautiful in his own time. Guys, God is not in a hurry. We're in a hurry. We're an American microwave generation, and we want it immediately. God is not in a hurry. God wants the best for you. God wants the best for you, and he knows your heart. God wants the best for you. I'm not talking about the best car. He wants the best for you in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul, not just the physical surroundings. And so he knows that if he puts something in front of you physically, like a, a, a nice new car or whatever, I just, you know, I keep throwing this stuff out. No, no, if you have a nice new car, that's great, by all means. We buy new cars and then we drive them for 10 years. That's just the way. God doesn't put that in your life so that or doesn't not put that in your life. He knows your heart, and he knows what would make you stumble. And so sometimes, there's a country song, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Why hasn't God answered this prayer? Because he knows your heart. You don't know your heart. But God knows your heart, and he knows that if he answered that prayer, whatever it is, it would lead you down a road that wouldn't lead you to him. And it's always about leading you to him. And so sometimes our prayers that we pray are, are misaligned. God has put eternity in the hearts of men, except that no one can find out that what God does from the beginning to the end. I've heard it, I've heard it this way. God has put eternity in the hearts of men, but men have not perceived it. God's put eternity in us. God's put heaven in us. And we just can't, we just can't grasp it. We can't wrap our minds around it. We haven't understood it fully. Someone that we know gets old and they pass away and we're like, he was 99 years old. How could he die? Death is always shocking to us. Why is death always shocking? Because we don't understand eternity. What is our expectation of death? Are we ready? Do we live ready to die? When COVID first happened, I said this. I said, I'm not going to get it. 
if I do get it, it's not going to be bad. If I do get it and it's bad, I'm not going to have to go in the hospital. If I do get it and it's bad and I have to go in the hospital, I'm not going to die. And if I do die, I win. There's, there's no way I can lose. I was, I, was, um, I, 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 uh, I was talking with somebody recently, just this week, and they, you know, they asked the, the typical question, how are you doing today? And so as he asked the question, as this guy asked the question, I paused and I, and I prayed and I said, God, how do I answer this question? And before anything could come out of my mouth, he said to me, at least you're not dead, right? Well, that, that was it, right? <laughs> I'm like, hey, you asked for it. And I said, hey, listen. I said, heaven is better. Heaven is better than anything that we will ever experience here on earth. And so he, he says, really? He's like, you believe that? And I'm like, yeah. The Bible tells me there's no sorrow in heaven. There's no tears in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. You never get tired in heaven. The, 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 the realities of heaven are endless. Do we understand them? What do you mean, really? What do you mean, really? What are you talking about? Is heaven really better? Yes, the presence of God is there, if for that alone. But there's also no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more disease, none of that. No more curse. The former things have passed away. Behold, God makes all things new. I'm going to get a resurrected body in heaven. I'll be able to run, and my legs won't hurt. I won't have back pain anymore. I don't have it now, but occasionally it comes and goes. I won't have back pain anymore. I won't have whatever. Whatever. There's no cancer in heaven. It can't exist there. Heaven is wonderful. Heaven is glorious. All my loved ones will be in heaven. Glory to God. I read this, it says, and it was from the, the Living Matters book. And it said, uh, God doesn't give you dying grace on non-dying days. Think about that for a minute. Right? As Christians, as Christians, we should have the best mindset towards death of anybody. Because we are going to go to heaven when we die. Death is simply a doorway that we step through to get to eternity. Death is a doorway that we have to walk through to get to heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven. Believe in Jesus and then die. There's only two people, one person, two people that have ever been in heaven without dying. Enoch and Elijah. Moses died. It says God buried his bones. It's very funny. The trans, on the Mount of Transfiguration, who appeared? It was Moses and Elisha. Why wasn't it Elijah and Enoch? Theological masterpieces. Love it. You know, I'll visit that later. We'll visit that later. God doesn't, here's what the book said, and I, and I'll go back to quote the book because it's very interesting, and I've been thinking about this all week long. It says, God doesn't give you dying grace on non-dying days. And so when we talk about death, we talk about having the right perspective on death, we need to understand that death is a doorway that leads us to heaven. Does that mean that I'm ready to die today? 
only if God calls me home today. God doesn't give dying grace on non-dying days. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. This means that as long as we hold the right mindset for death, that when it comes time for us to die, God will give us the grace to go through death right. God gives us grace to fast on days that we're supposed to fast. God gives us grace to be single when we're called to be single. God gives us grace to be married on days that we're to be married. God gives us grace to travel on days that we travel. God gives us grace to preach on days that we're to preach. God gives us grace to pray every single day because God always wants us to pray. God gives us grace to do whatever it is he is calling you to do in the moment. As long as you're continuing to seek him for your daily bread, for your daily grace. Here's the beautiful thing, guys, is that we don't do anything in our own strength. We do it by him. We go in the, I'd go in the morning. You can go in the evening. You can go around supper time. You go whenever is good for you. You go and you get grace from God. You get your daily bread. God, I need daily bread. Jesus said, give us our daily bread. Give us our daily portion of grace. Give us our daily portion of you, Jesus. And then like the story with Elisha, his strength comes upon us to perform whatever it is we're to do. He wants me to supernaturally outrun a horse? Fine. I'm ready. Without grace, it's not happening. Without his strength, it's not happening. If God wants me to preach to somebody on the street, fine. God, I hope you gave me grace. Because if I do it on myself, I'm just going to fail miserably. Anything that God's calling you to do, feed the poor, visit the sick, grace, 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 grace. To the point where, like, we can claim nothing for ourselves. And then, so I don't do anything. It's all God in me. And then God says, because you've done these good works, that I've given you grace to do and perform, I'm going to give you rewards for it. What? <laughs> we can't claim credit, but God gives us credit. We're like, we didn't do that. It was God. And God's like, he did it. And now we've entered into what they're, what they're doing in the Trinity. We read in John, John in, in John uh, 16 or 17, the Father's always talking about the Son, the son's always talking about the Father. They're both talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's, there's this three-way thing between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit world. They're always shining the light on the other. None of them want the focus. And we've entered into that because we're like, it's not me, it's God. And God's like, look at my son. Look at what he's doing over there. Look at the great job he's doing. Praise God. God doesn't give you dying grace on non-dying days. God gives you grace for what you are called to do. God gives you grace for what you're currently going through. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. This is the, Hebrews 11 is the chapter of the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it talks about Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. And it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. 
And if truly they had called to mind the country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return to it. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Glory. Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Does this describe you? Are you a stranger and a pilgrim on your earth? Do things of the world, are, are things of the world just really not making sense anymore? Man, I'm looking around down here and it just doesn't make sense. A lot of this just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's okay. That means you're anchored upward, guys. That means, you know, I'm a citizen of heaven. Are you, are we citizens? Are we citizens of heaven living in America? Or are we American citizens living like Christians? There's a difference. Are we citizens, watch, are we citizens of heaven living in America? Or are we citizens of America trying to live like Christians, trying to live like we belong in heaven? How many of you see someone who is a citizen of another country in America and you know like, you don't even have to ask. You're not from here, are you? You're not from around these parts, are you? You're new here. <laughs> Do we, are we living like we're citizens of heaven? Or are we living like we're Americans and we want some of the benefit of heaven? There's a lot of people in the world that are citizens of other countries, but they want the benefit from America. There's a lot of Christians walking around that are happy to be Americans or English or whatever other country you want to be, but they want to get some of the benefits of heaven. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And if they had truly called to mind the country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. They lived in Israel. Many of these forefathers, they lived in Israel. They lived here. They lived there. They lived in all these different places. And, and they, they decided, this is not my home. My home is in heaven. And if I thought about it, I could go back to living in Israel. I could go back to living in America, but I don't want to. I don't want to live in these places. I want to live in heaven. I want to live in heaven. I want to live in heaven. I just get my mail here. When that's the case, when that's the case, we live differently. We live differently when we're citizens of heaven. Always, every time. When we're citizens of heaven, we live differently. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Math, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to have an understanding of what heaven is like if we're going to join with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the Great Commission and fulfill this aspect of the, our Father that Jesus told us to pray like this and that we're to bring heaven to earth. We, we pray that he brings it here and he 
asks us to help him do it. Who's to go and preach? People don't get saved by themselves. I mean, God saves everybody, but we go to preach. We share the word with them, and then God brings the salvation. He does it, and he credits it to our account. It's our mandate. It's our mission to bring heaven to earth. How much, of, how much of an experience, how much of a reality do we have of heaven? How much do we understand what heaven is like? And are we prepared to fulfill this prayer, heaven come to earth? How will we know that this prayer is answered? How will we know when this prayer is answered? Do we know what heaven is like? When heaven invades earth, what's the response? When the kingdom of God that Jesus preached and talked about comes and it's manifest in our presence, what happens? Salvations, healings, lives changed, sin falls off. What happens? We are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. We're ambassadors. Paul says we're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And so we're to bring the kingdom here. One of the, one of the, um, Greek, one of the Greek words uh, that we use is the word apostle. And so uh, it's, a, it's a Greek word, and the Romans adopted it, and the Romans used it too. In the Greek, the apostle, it, it was a little bit different word, apostolo. It meant the lead ship in an armada. An armada is a whole series of ships, right? There's many ships on the ocean. The apostolo was the lead ship, and the person who was navigating the course was on that lead ship, and they set the course. And then all the other ships, they followed that ship. Wherever he goes, that's where we're going. Hey, listen, you're steering the boat. Don't lose that boat because we got to follow them. Only he knows. We don't have a compass on this ship. I don't know if that's true. But he knew where they were going. Only he knows where we're going. We're following him. Fast forward to the Roman culture, the day which Jesus lived. Apostle is actually a Greek word that Jesus used. It's not a Hebrew word. And it means the person from the original community, Rome, that came to set the standard of living in the new conquered territory. Right, So the Romans would go out and they'd win a city through battle. And they would send an apostle to that city to say, this is what Rome is like, and we're changing it. We're changing it here. And this is what this city, Caesarea, Caesarea is now going to be like Rome. We're going to build roads like Rome. We're going to put in wells like Rome. We're going to put in theaters like Rome. We're going to put in gymnasiums like Rome. And so that when the king comes from Rome, emperor, whatever he was, comes from Rome, and he's here in Caesarea, he thinks he's in Rome. It looks no different. You're an apostle on the earth. We're apostles. Not everybody's an apostle, apostolic, anointing. But it's the same mandate. We're to bring the kingdom of heaven here, and we're to make the kingdom of heaven a reality here. You're the only Christian at 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 your workplace. You're to bring the kingdom of God there. You want to... I work with the worst people. Daniel worked with the worst people. Daniel worked with uh, magicians and soothsayers, people that worked and flowed in the demonic regularly. 
And this is who Daniel worked with. Your workplace is bad? I get it. John 3, 35, 34 through 36. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Guys, we will have more passion to share Jesus with others when we have a full understanding of what heaven is like and what the alternative is. There's only two alternatives, heaven or hell. It's heaven or hell. You're going up, you're going down. It's heaven or hell. I don't know that hell's down. It's heaven or hell. Heaven or hell, two options. And so are you going up or are you going down? And the more we understand the reality of heaven, the more we're going to want to get everybody else that we know and talk to to go there with us. I get this question a lot as I'm sharing, um, sharing the gospel with others. And it's funny, uh, I talk to different people, and different people seem to get different types of questions. But, uh, and I think it's the way that I lead into sharing Jesus, talking about the love of God. And so I get this question a lot, and there's, they, they ask this, they, people ask me this question often. They say, if God's such a loving God, then why can't people go to heaven any way they want? I'm like, no, you don't understand. I feel like Jesus sometimes because they ask a question and you just, and, but they're asking a question that can't be answered with a direct answer. Why, why can't people go to heaven any way they want? No, it's not like that. Understand it more this way. This is where you are on earth. This is where God is in heaven. And there is a great chasm affixed between there and here. And you can't get across it. No one can. Nobody ever has except Jesus. Jesus made a way where there was no way. And there's only one way. It's not that he doesn't want the other ways to work. It's that they don't work. The other ways are all empty roads that lead to the pit. And it's only Jesus that leads us to eternal life. He's the only way to get there. I don't, I don't share this. I don't share Jesus with you because I don't like Buddha or whoever else, Confucius or any of these other guys. I don't share Jesus with you because I don't like them. It's just that Jesus is the only way, and I want you there with me when I get there. I don't want you to perish. I want you to go. And so it's really the love of God in me that wants, me, wants to share the love of God with you and share Jesus with you so that you can be with him where he is. It's not even so much that I want you to be with me, right? Because, you know, I'm feeling some animosity between the two of us right now. But I know that Jesus wants you with him, and I know that if you knew Jesus, you'd want to be with him. And so I'm sharing Jesus with you because God loves you. As much as you don't like me right now because I'm saying this to you, God loves you, and God wants you there. When we have a real understanding of heaven, when we embrace heaven, when we have this reality, when it becomes real to us, we automatically will begin to preach the gospel will automatically begin to share heaven with other people. We'll automatically begin to share what Jesus did with other people because we want them there with us. And it's not because we're selfish or, 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 or uh, singling people out. It's just that there's, there's just one way. There's only one way. Revelation 21, 3 through 4. 
and I heard a loud voice. I'm going to give you, I'm just going to whet your appetite here. I'm going to give you a little bit of, of a scripture from heaven, and then uh, we're going to take communion. John writes, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he says, I heard a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. As we read through Revelation, we see, we see different things. John says, the lion lays down with the lamb. Those who were mortal enemies on the earth will live at peace with one another. The lion who used to eat and devour the lamb for food will dwell in peace and lie down in safety with the lamb. This is abnormal and not natural, but it's a supernatural city. It talks about fire and ice mingled together. When have you ever seen fire and ice? Fire would melt the ice. The ice would drip and the water would put out the fire. But in heaven, fire and ice coexist. They're, they're diametrically opposed in the natural, but in heaven, it's supernatural because they can each have their identity but not hurt or destroy one another. It's fantastic. Things that are in the earth, they fight and they war against one another. People, individuals, things in the natural. But in heaven, it's utter peace. It's complete peace. No sickness, no disease. Old things are passed away. The curse is no longer there. The Bible tells us that God himself will sit in the middle of the city, the new city of Jerusalem. The new city of Jerusalem descends down from heaven, and John measures it, or the angel of God measures it and tells John the measurement, and the measurement is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's a cube. It's not just one flat city. It's a cube. It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles is from here to Florida. By from here to Florida. By from here to Florida. They took a, a stack. They had, a, a, you know, the globes that sit on the stand. They took a stack of the, the uh, sticky notes. They come in a cube, a big cube when you first get them. So imagine a, a cube of sticky notes, not just the flat one, but a whole cube. And they stuck that on the globe, and they're like, this is what the city of New Jerusalem would look like on the earth. It's this giant cube that sticks up beyond everything. What's 1,500 miles on the earth? Nothing. Even Mount Everest isn't that high. It's 37,000 feet, which is how many miles, math people? Six? 1,500 miles. Wow. So next time you go out and you see a mountain, you're like, wow, look at that thing. Just think, Everest is like six or seven miles high, and the new city of Jerusalem is going to be 1,500 miles. It says that God sits in the middle. <laughs> this is fantastic. You just can't stop talking about it. God sits in the middle of the city of, of the new Jerusalem upon his throne, and he is light, and he emanates light. And it says the sun, there will be, it says there will be no need of the sun, for God himself will give light to the city. It doesn't say that. There won't be a sun. It may say that someplace else. It says that the sun will be darkened because God is so bright. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. You go outside on a, on a bright day, 
The sun's shining. You can't even look at the sun. And that's going to be turned to darkness because God is so bright. Are you kidding me? The streets of gold, there's streets in the city of gold. There's streets in the city of gold, and they're made of transparent gold. There's streets in the city of heaven, and they're made of transparent gold. Now, watch this. If you had one street every mile, 1,500 miles, if you had one street every mile, and then one street every mile, right, and then that grid was one street every mile, you'd have, I think it's like in the millions or the billions of miles of streets in heaven. If you like to drive or walk on the road, you will never, I I don't know, we'll be there forever, so obviously at some point, but (laughs) how many years will it take you to walk the city, the streets of the city of, of heaven? This is heaven, It becomes difficult for us to understand these things, and we're like, and sometimes we can ask the question, like, is, is this even, is this, is this beneficial? What good is this doing me? You know, there, there's a saying out there, you know, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, no, that, well, you can be that way, but the whole purpose here is that as we understand heaven, we bring it to the earth. And so if we're thinking of heaven as only the benefit when we die, then yes, we may be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But the purpose is that when we understand heaven, we bring that reality to the earth on which we live. This is the goal. Sea of glass, the trees that line the streets of heaven, they bear fruit in their season. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the saints, the healing of the nations. Heaven is a fantastic place. We need to understand what heaven's like. And as we understand what heaven is like, we will change the way we live. We will be better prepared to bring heaven to earth. And we will preach the gospel unashamedly only because we want people to be there with Jesus. I know the gift that I've been given, and I want the gift for you too. If you're here today and you've never ask Jesus into your heart. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. Making a decision to follow Jesus is the greatest decision that you'll ever make. It's the greatest decision that I've ever made. Change my life. I live completely differently because of that decision that I made 28 years ago. And so if you're here today, I'm going to ask you to just pray with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, and that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do uh, one thing for me. That's check on your card. Today I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, check that box. I want to send you some information that explains the decision of what it means to follow Jesus and what your next steps are. If you're watching online with us and you filled out the Engage card, just check on that Engage card, follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. Uh, if you're watching online and you didn't fill out the Engage card, you can send me an email at info at redeeminglovechurch.org, and I'll send you all the same information. We're going to take communion, and so I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed 
took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks and eats in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not concerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or die prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So as we prepare to take the cup today, as we prepare to take the bread and the cup today, let us just examine ourselves and see if there is any unclean thing in us. See if there is anything that God would just put his finger on and say, hey, I don't like that. I don't like when you do that. Stop doing that. God, we pray that right now as we stand here before your presence, Lord, that you just speak to us. God, we think back through our week. We think about how we treat others. Things we do in private. And we say, God, forgive us. God, we ask for grace. We ask for your strength to not do that thing anymore, to not treat people that way anymore. God, that we would better represent you, that we would better represent heaven on the earth. Let's just take the bread together. blood of Jesus was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And when our sins are forgiven because of Jesus, it gives us entrance into the throne room, the very throne room, the very presence of Jesus, the very presence of God. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness of sins that came through your death on the cross. And God, we just proclaim that you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. We remember what you did. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for forgiving our sins. We thank you for making a way for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.